The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. I'm very excited to have uh, on the show, Bill Ryerson is the founder and president of Population Media Center. He also serves as the chair and CEO of the Population Institute in Washington, D.C. And this brand new book that he helped to contribute to is called Overdevelopment, Overpopulation, Overshoot. Now, this is not a topic that's new to Go Green Radio, but there are some new developments and there's some exciting information that I think Bill is going to be able to crystallize for us on this topic and some new trends that are happening in the community of folks who are looking at, hey, just what are we going to do about the not just environmental but social impacts of population growth on the planet? So welcome back to Go Green Radio, Bill. I'm glad to have you on. Jill, thanks so much. It's great to be back with you. Well, for some of our newer listeners who may not have heard our previous interview with you, um, I'd like to begin by having you tell us about the organization that you founded, Population Media Center. Tell us what the organization does and then kind of transition into telling us about how you got involved with this new book, Overpopulation, Overdevelopment, Overshoot. Okay. I'll give you just one piece of psychology that's very important to understand for everything Population Media Center does, and that is the work of a brain scientist named Paul McLean. In his research on the different functions of the human brain and where they occur, he found behavioral decisions and values are based in the emotional part of the brain, not the intellectual part of the brain. We think of ourselves as rational beings, but we make most decisions emotionally. So, in fact, trying to reach people with intellectual information, which the scientific community has been doing for decades with regard to population and sustainability issues, has not made nearly enough of an impact. Um, And indeed, What Population Media Center does is to work through melodramas, highly emotion-based programming, where the definition, in fact, of melodrama is the battle of good versus evil. Uh, And so there are always horrible characters who end up being the reason people watch or listen to these programs, and very angelic characters, and they're battling it out over some set of issues. And then in our formulation, which is based on the work of a telenovela producer from Mexico named Miguel Sabido, there's also a middle-of-the-road type of character, or several of them, who represent various segments of the audience. And they, over a period of maybe 50 episodes in what might be a 200-episode program, sort out the conflicting advice they're getting from positive and negative characters, and in front of a mass audience, they gradually evolve into positive role models for the audience for the goals that country is trying to achieve. 
a lot of our programs address such things as ending child marriage uh, and sending daughters to school instead of marrying them off at puberty, uh, use of family planning, delaying childbearing until adulthood, spacing of children for better health and economic welfare, and a, an array of other issues, particularly environmental behaviors like reducing climate change impacts, reforestation, uh, and marine conservation, uh, as well as, uh, in the case of a program we're planning in China, making it unpopular to consume ivory carvings. Mm. So we've we've been able to do this approach now in 53 countries, and in each one we have carried out extensive baseline and post-broadcast quantitative research to measure the impacts on behavior. And what we found is on these issues, when we attract a huge audience, which we generally do, uh, sometimes more than half the population of a country, we can actually measure changes in norms on the issues we're addressing in the program, and we can, uh, through very careful research at clinic sites, for example, uh, find what percentage of new family planning adopters attribute their decision to the program. So. These are the primary activities of PMC. Mm -hmm. uh, the book that you mentioned, Overdevelopment, Overpopulation, Overshoot, is a creation of the Foundation for Deep Ecology, which partnered with Population Media Center and Population Institute to reach people emotionally in another way, and this is uh, through photographs. So it is a coffee table book. It, is not full of words. It's full of images of the impact of humanity on the global environment. And uh, at first, because we're primarily focused on broadcast media, when the idea of the book came up, I was a little bit skeptical that it would really do uh, what we wanted to do to reach people uh, and to reach a lot of people uh, with the emotional message related to the need to achieve sustainable lifestyles. What has happened is a huge response. Uh, the Guardian in the UK did a pictorial essay using photographs from the book. Millions of people have responded to that. Ashton Kutcher, Hollywood actor, posted this book on his Facebook page. Tens of thousands of people have responded to that. So in fact, this uh, project has really gone viral in a way that has us thrilled. Uh, and indeed, the Foundation for Deep Ecology said it is the strongest response on any book they've ever published. And all of it, almost all of it, extremely positive. So we've, we, again, are reaching people emotionally, and it's, it's eliciting a huge response of people who are signing up at populationspeakout.org as activists to speak out about this issue and to bring it to the attention of journalists and policymakers. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk to our listeners a little bit more about the campaign in a, in a moment um, because I think that it's set up perfectly for 21st century communication. I mean, it's really easy to make it a part of your social media 
platform and and you've made it really really easy but going back to the book thanks to your organization and the partner organizations who published the book i received a copy and i'm really grateful for that um i'm sharing it with my friends and family and colleagues i was showing it to uh, my younger daughter last night and the images are so compelling it's one of those things that you you can't look away when you're looking at these photos. They're so amazing. And then you can't unsee it. The images lead to thoughts that, uh, you know, really are powerful. I'd like for you to talk to us about some of the images in the book that are most important and impactful for you and why that is. Uh, of course, because I've been focused on the population issue now for over four decades, uh, some of the photos really help people understand what this means. And there are several images in the book of endless cities that just go on and on to the horizon. Uh, and clearly no wilderness or parkland left untouched. Uh, and so certainly in terms of my training as an ecologist, seeing these images uh, really drives home the point that human expansion in human numbers is a primary driver of loss of habitat and loss of biodiversity. In fact, the biodiversity that makes the planet habitable. Uh, another image that really touches a lot of people, including me, is the picture of a baby seal caught in debris in the ocean, uh, trying to survive and, you know, struggling to get out of this debris, but the way it's caught it appears to be hopeless. As many people have read, there are tons and tons of plastic and other debris floating in oceans, some of them in large islands that are trapping animals in large numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, another image that really is part of the parable that the book has about the choice that mankind has made to become the ruler of everything on the earth is a huge Russian statue that is like a skyscraper. It's just giant. And um, army uh, standing in front of it, uh, it really speaks to the fact that humanity has forgotten that it is a part of nature and thinks instead that nature is there to serve us. Mm -hmm. um, there's also um, uh, a, an image of a whole group of child brides with their husbands who could well be their fathers, but indeed these are young girls who have just been married in a mass wedding. Mm -hmm. uh, thousands of girls every day are married against their will to older men, uh, and it's a huge human rights violation. Uh, we're part of a coalition of organizations worldwide trying to stop child marriage, and we're working on this issue in a number of countries through our soap operas. But that image really drives home how prevalent this problem is. And finally, uh, there is a, a photo of a toxic river in China with a man holding his nose standing by this river. The, the, the water has become so polluted you can't even breathe in the neighborhood mm -hmm. of the river. So all of these images and more, and one can actually view the book at populationspeakout.org, um, uh, strike me uh, in a way that 
uh, really moves me to want to take action to alert people around the world that if we don't change our ways, we won't be sustainable for very long. Uh, mm-hmm. Indeed, sustainability is the ultimate human rights issue, and it's the ultimate health issue. And if if we have a collapse of civilization, uh, many, many people will suffer and die. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something that I want to ask you about. I mean, it's pretty easy to see the environmental impact of, of overpopulation, but talk to us about some of the human suffering that you've seen as you've traveled the world that's directly related to overpopulation. Uh, this year I'll go to my 90th country. Um, most of the countries I have visited around the planet are developing countries, uh, and most of the countries where Population Media Center works are very poor. Uh, so over the time I've been traveling the globe, and I spend about half of my time traveling, I've gotten to know many people in very poor countries. And what is something that I think many Americans don't comprehend because to them homelessness is something that happens to uh, a very limited group of people is that large numbers of college-educated, very intelligent, ambitious people in developing countries, because of the rapid growth of the number of people trying to enter the labor force and the stagnating economy that actually results from rapid population growth and lack of ability to, of the people to save any money, therefore no capital in the marketplace and no growth of businesses. All of this is tied into population, but it means many of these college graduates are homeless. Wow. They're perfectly normal people, but they, can't, they are barely surviving uh, because they just live day to day trying to get a little money doing whatever they can do. Uh, but they can't ra- they can't earn enough money to have a permanent residence. So many many people are living on the edge, and people who lack education are even in worse shape in many countries. So it's it's something where I feel very directly the impact of this rapid population growth that is leading to poverty in several different ways. One of which, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, is the lack of capital formation and therefore the lack of ability of businesses to expand. Sure. And one of which is the uh, the fact that having many children uh, leads people to spend all of their incomes on survival needs and doesn't allow for any luxury items of any kind. Absolutely. And that's economic stagnation unless, you know, the only products available are diapers and baby formula. I mean, mm. other items... And, and other industries suffer. We're going to take a quick commercial break, Bill, but when we come back, we're going to talk much more about the human suffering element and also the environmental degradation that's directly associated with overpopulation. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Bill Ryerson, um, and he is talking about a brand new book that you can actually check out for free on www.populationspeakout.org. And uh, it's a really cool website. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in a moment, but you can check out the book Overdevelopment, Overpopulation, Overshoot. So check that out. You know, Bill, we were talking just before the break about some of the human suffering that's going on, especially in the developing world as a direct result of population growth. But, you know, a lot of our listeners are in the United States, and these stories of human suffering may seem really far away. But I'd like for you to tell us why people in the developed world should consider population growth a pressing issue that requires immediate attention and action. It's one of the key elements uh, of causing poverty and suffering in the developing world, but it's also a key element in the whole issue of sustainability. Most of our industrial civilization has been made possible through the use of non-renewable uh, energy supplies and metals and minerals, and particularly oil. Uh, all of these non-renewables are, by definition, being depleted as we use them, and we've used the easiest to find stuff first, and now we're going through miles of Arctic tundra to get at uh, the remaining uh, accessible supplies. Uh, so, in fact, we're facing a real crisis in this century of having to adapt our whole civilization to living on renewables. That will mm -hmm. happen before the end of this century and probably in the first half of the century. Uh, the issue of sustainability is one that many people don't understand. Uh, there is a really good definition of sustainability that the Vermont chapter of the Sierra Club came out with, basically stating that people living in a given geographic area 
don't live beyond the limits of the renewable resources of that area for either input such as energy and matter or output such as food, material goods, or absorption of pollution. And so, in fact, when you look at the global situation, uh, one of the big issues we're facing right now in unsustainable behavior is the use of fresh water. Mm-hmm. India, for example, on average, the water table in India uh, underground aquifers is dropping by about 10 feet a year because we're over-pumping it in order to grow grain to feed the growing Indian population. About 180 million people in India are dependent upon uh, crops grown with water that is being pumped unsustainably. And because many farms now are running out of water, those people in the next couple of decades face potential starvation. Um, Expanding human numbers around the world are also a major factor in loss of wildlife habitat and deforestation. Uh, Now, what, what is the benefit of biodiversity for those who live in front of their computers and cell phones in <laughs> air-conditioned environments. If somebody had visited the planet uh, maybe three or four billion years ago, they wouldn't have survived a minute. They, there was no air they could breathe. There was toxic water. Uh, there was nothing they could eat. And it's three and a half billion years of evolution that has led to the biodiversity that makes our planet habitable. We are rapidly destroying it, both in terms of the diversity of species on the planet and in the numbers of major, uh, particularly green plants, that make the planet habitable. So we're running a huge risk of turning our own home into a place that is unlivable. Climate change is just one example of that. Now, how does climate change relate to population? Because many people say, well, the rapid population growth doesn't matter because the poor people are not putting out much greenhouse gas, whereas the people in wealthy countries are putting out a lot per capita. And that is true. However, all people require uh, some uh, or have some carbon footprint. Uh, They require food, which creates uh, carbon impact. They require other materials, that all of which have a carbon footprint. So I sat down and did a quick calculation of what is the carbon impact of the projected population growth from now to 2050, roughly an additional 2.5 billion people on top of the 7.3 billion we have now. Mm-hmm. And even though most of that growth will occur in countries with low per capita emissions, it's the climate equivalent of adding two United States to the planet. Yikes. Wow. That's that's horrifying um, when you think about the, the climate impact of that. Um, you know, there are there are folks who are critical of the work of people who are like yourself trying to raise awareness about, uh, you know, this issue of population growth and the detrimental effects of just letting this snowball and not addressing the issue. Um, I remember two, three, maybe four years ago at the most, um, National Geographic did a cover story on population growth. And one of the people that they interviewed said, 
you know, that we could fit the Earth's population into a landmass the size of Texas if it were as densely populated as New York City. And people in New York City don't find that unlivable. And so his point was that we have plenty of room for everybody and kind of like, hey, don't worry about this. Um, what do you say to people who who have that position? Uh, it's clearly a false uh, basis on which to say we don't have a problem because nobody is claiming that the problem is lack of space. Certainly, we could put all the population of the planet in the state of Texas in high-rise buildings. I was in Texas last weekend for the largest Earth Day on the planet, Earth Day Texas, mm-hmm. and that is a state that is rapidly running out of water. They have a serious crisis, as does California, with water because of uh, rapid population growth, consuming more and more of the fresh water supplies that are available. Mm-hmm. So, indeed, if we were to put 7.3 billion people in the state of Texas, they would have a place to live in an apartment, but if, when they turned on the tap, there'd be no water, and they wouldn't survive. So, indeed, the issue is not space. The issue is resources, and particularly fresh water but also energy supplies, also handling waste products, including our carbon emissions and other waste products. Uh, So that's the concern of of biologists, not space. Mm -hmm. You know, whether we're talking about population growth, climate change, or ultimately the finality of fossil fuel supplies, everybody knows they're finite. They won't last forever. Um, There are people who seem to have this blind faith that science and innovation will save humanity. In essence, that we can go on living the way we are because someone will invent something to take the place of the resources that we're currently depleting and everything will work out fine for future generations. Um, What do you say? to people who hold that position? Uh, They're asking us to take a huge gamble. Uh, It's sort of like being in an automobile that's driving towards a stone wall at 90 miles an hour, and the driver says, we haven't had any problems so far, so I'm going to accelerate and go 110 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wall is still there. It's very clear. Scientific societies from around the world have agreed we are facing a true crisis in sustainability. The fact that we haven't hit the wall yet doesn't mean it's not there. Now, a lot of people point out that Paul Ehrlich uh, falsely concluded in his book, The Population Bomb, in the late 1960s, that India would face massive starvation in the 1970s. What he didn't know when he published the book was that, indeed, the Green Revolution was going to turn India into a food exporter. And uh, so it, in fact, bought us about 30 years of time as Norman Borlaug, the father of the Green Revolution, who, by the way, served on Population Media Center's program advisory board until his death, uh, when he received the Nobel Peace Prize for being the father of the Green Revolution, he said, Basically, what we've done with this innovation of high-yield wheat and rice is buy the world about 30 years, during which time it must address the population issue or we're going to be back where we started. Now we're back where we started, but we have a much bigger population and a faster uh, increase in population, not in terms of rate, but in terms of added numbers every year. So, in fact, we're facing uh, a very serious crisis as India, China, and the U.S., the top three grain-producing countries of the world start to run out of fresh water supplies. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so indeed, yes, uh, we have had innovations that have pulled our bacon out of the fire, and hopefully we will have more that will buy us some time to bring about a uh, transition to a non-growing population and ultimately a shrinking population that will be able to live within the planet's renewable resources before we hit that stone wall. And we don't know exactly how far the stone wall is, but we know it's there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we had Paul on the show about a year ago, and he has another book out um, that that's on my shelf. It's called Hope on Earth. And, and you know, he was talking about how you know, a lot of um, a lot of folks were really critical of him, of course, um, because his predictions didn't come true exactly at the moment in time when he said they would. But the fact is that even with all these innovations, even being able to feed all that we've been able to feed up to now, um, you know, the 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 thing that all that food is depending on for its nutrition is the soil, and the the soil itself is something we can't just invent in a lab. We have to take care of now, and that's something that you know a lot of folks are really concerned about that our topsoil uh, isn't as nutrient rich and isn't as good for growing food even if there's space to grow the wheat on it's not even as nutritious as it used to be um so you know that's another quote unquote natural resource that we can't just make up in a lab it really um is something that has to be protected on earth we're going to take a quick commercial break but when we come back we have so much more to discuss so please don't go away folks there's more go green radio right after this News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Get ready for some lively discussion on Barely Controlled Radio with Jeff Reed. From sports to relationships to current events and more, pretty much anything is on the table. Besides being a place kicker for the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, Jeff Reed is also a journalist, blogger, and opinionist. And he's ready to talk to you and tackle the issues that you've been wanting to talk about. Tune in to Barely Controlled Radio every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Just in case you've only now tuned in, let me catch you up. We're talking about a brand new book, and it's called Overpopulation, Overdevelopment, Overshoot. And you can actually read the book and see all of these unbelievable, compelling pictures um, for free. You can check it out on this website, www.populationspeakout.org. Our guest today is Bill Ryerson. And um, Bill, earlier in the show, we were talking about the impact that, um, you know, lack of women's rights and uh, countries where uh, girls are forced into being child brides has a huge impact on population growth because uh, not only do the women in those countries not have control over their reproductive rights, but they are forced into very long periods of childbearing um, when they are married at such a young age. Um, I know... Yeah, and I know that you know there are lots of ways that the developed world can help serve the needs of women in these countries. Um, talk to us about what what can be done to alleviate that situation. I went to the first World Population Conference in Bucharest, Romania, in 1974, uh, as well as the most recent one in Cairo in 1994. And at the Bucharest conference. Uh, Margaret Mead sat down with the person who is now Population Media Center's honorary chair, David Poindexter, and together they crafted a paragraph about the status of women. And they took it to a member of the U.S. delegation and said, you know, there is nothing in the proposed plan of action that addresses the status of women. Could you please insert this uh, as an amendment in the intergovernmental discussions uh, before the plan is adopted? His response was, well, this is a meeting about family planning. What's the status of women got to do with it? <laughs> uh, now, we've come a long way since then, and certainly the Cairo conference directly recognized the importance of the status of women and girls. Uh, as you mentioned, short generation time, along with high fertility that results from early marriage, is a major driver of rapid population growth. And, of course, it's also a violation of human rights when girls are married before the age of consent and not provided an education but begin childbearing immediately and basically are brought up by their husbands. In Mm -hmm. Nepal, for example, there are girls as young as six and seven years old that are being put into marriages. So they're being brought up by their husbands, and they're getting pregnant as soon as they become fertile. Um, It also, of course... Early, early childbearing like that at 12, 13, 14 years old leads to tremendously high rates of maternal mortality uh, because these are young girls who are not ready physically to be bearing children. Mm -hmm. Um, The ability of women to make their own decisions about the number and spacing of children in societies where men control all decision-making is obviously limited. Uh, when women are given the ability to make that decision themselves, fertility rates come down. 
Now, one of the things that we've looked at very closely around the planet, uh, and indeed we've analyzed the data for 95 countries where demographic and health surveys have been carried out, uh, with regard to a key question, and that is among women who are not using family planning but don't want to be pregnant, why are they not using family planning? Mm -hmm. There's a fascinating paper on this subject that says... uh, Basically, a lot of it has to do with fatalism. So women being interviewed are asked, are you married or in union? Yes. Are you sexually active? Yes. Are you using a modern method of contraception? No. Do you want to be pregnant now or in the next two years? Desperately not. I can't feed the children I have. Oh, by the way, do you understand because you're sexually active and not using a contraceptive, you could become pregnant? Well, that would be okay. And then the interviewer says, well, how can you say that when you just told me you can't feed the children you have now? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, well, it's up to God. Uh, I'm here to serve God. If God wants me to be pregnant, I'll be happy to have another baby. So mm-hmm. this fatalism, the lack of any sense of self-efficacy that women have the right and the ability to make those decisions themselves is a key driver of this, along with religious opposition and male opposition, and misinformation about the safety and effectiveness of contraceptives. So, Mm -hmm. indeed, one of the reasons for PMC's work is to use mass media to overcome these barriers and to create role models for self-efficacy for women around the world. Here's the thing, though, Bill. I mean, you know, here in the United States, uh, women can get... Uh, contraceptives pretty easily, uh, women's rights are protected, and yet still half of all pregnancies in the U.S. are unplanned. And I can tell you, you know, my kids are in high school and college. They grew up in California public schools where, believe me when I tell you that the sex education they received was very candid, very, very candid. However, there was never any mention of population control issues. There was never any discussion about limiting the number of children that you have for environmental or societal reasons. What could we be doing in the U.S. to reach kids who are entering their childbearing years with this kind of a message without causing a huge political and religious kerfuffle? I mean, what, what can we do? Well, clearly, population education, per se, is very important. Some countries put a lot of emphasis on this, and the people understand the links between population and economic welfare and population and environmental uh, damage. So uh, we should, indeed, institutionalize population education, not as a part of sex education, but as its own course or as part of uh, ecology uh, and training people because they need to understand population dynamics. Um, but also there needs to be public discussion. Uh, clearly, decisions about childbearing are a very personal decision, and nobody outside of the Chinese government is trying to make those decisions for people. They want these decisions to be made voluntarily, but clearly it's in everybody's interest if people choose small family norms, and particularly in a country like the U.S., where uh, we have such a huge carbon footprint and such a huge ecological footprint in general. We're consuming 25% of the world's uh, resources every year. So um, 
a decision by an American couple to have a smaller family is a very important environmental decision, and people really need to be educated on the link between population decisions and, and family size decisions and environmental impact. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And again, I think you're exactly right. It should be voluntary. It should be something that's made, you know, from a from an informed position. Um, but I think we could be doing a little bit better than we are. Um, in the essay that you wrote for the book, you write the following. You say, we can stabilize world population at 8.3 billion and then begin a gradual reduction in the total number of humans on the planet as soon as 2050. If we can hew to the United Nations' low-variant demographic projection, by 2100, global population would be back down to 6.7 billion. I'd like for you to talk to us about how such a thing can be accomplished. It's uh, very important for people to understand that the decisions we make now with regard to funding and the use of funds with regard to family planning and reproductive health, both services and information, will have a huge impact on the welfare of the planet in the coming century. So the difference between the high variant and the low variant uh, in the UN projections, and even the high variant assumes reduction in fertility rates and increased use of contraception. But that difference is a tremendous difference in terms of the prospect of achieving sustainability. So instead of increasing our investment in family planning, reproductive health, both education through things like entertainment, education, serial dramas, and in services, things like contraceptive supplies and uh, training of clinicians and so on, the world community is reducing their support at, at exactly the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at countries like Norway, uh, Denmark, Sweden, Germany, uh, even Italy and Spain, these are countries that have voluntarily achieved below replacement level fertility, Japan also. And indeed, those uh, achievements should be celebrated. We shouldn't be wringing our hands and paying people bribes, as some governments are doing, to have more babies. We should be celebrating low fertility rate, but we should also use that as a model. We see we can achieve low fertility rate when people are motivated and when they're given access to both education and uh, reproductive health supplies. Uh, And we should replicate that across the planet so that the poorest countries can also achieve that and can achieve the economic welfare that goes along with it. So clearly I'm an optimist that it can be done, but I'm increasingly worried we're going in the wrong direction with regard to prioritizing this issue, in part because... It's a tough issue to talk about, and there are religious opponents to contraceptive, contraception. So, in fact, many governments are just ducking on this issue and not doing what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and in the essay that you wrote for the book, um, you mention a wide variance in the estimated human population predictions by the year 2100. Um, some predictions say we'll be at 10 billion, while others estimate could be much, much higher. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of fertility trends. You mentioned some countries that are doing a great job, but talk to us about some of the trends you're seeing around the world and what your greatest concerns are. There are really three different categories of countries, ones that have achieved low 
fertility rates and are uh, ultimately going to stabilize or decline in numbers. Ones that have a high fertility rate that is coming down and ones that have stagnated at high fertility rates. Uh, The last category is very important. For example, Nigeria, a country where the fertility rate is 5.7 children per woman. Fertility rate means the number of children a woman will bear in her lifetime. Desired family size in Nigeria among women is 7 and among men is 9. So, in fact, reducing the fertility rate is going to require changing norms with regard to what is an ideal family size. Um, But Nigeria right now in the UN low variant is slated to add more people to the world's population than any other country, including India and China. So it's very important to uh, address these high-growth countries and to help them achieve the government's goals, which are to dramatically reduce this high fertility that is driving those countries towards unsustainability and ultimate collapse. Well, and it's funny because at the same time, in, if you read economic news, and I'm kind of a news junkie, um, you know, you'll see that Nigeria is slated and, and has the potential to have a tremendous amount of economic growth and to be a place where, um, you know, even with all the issues they've had with Boko Haram, a place where people want to invest. Um, but at the same time, you know, you know, you're looking at overpopulation in that country, uh, but also maybe a labor force that they want to pop up. So it's really a complicated equation when you look at both the societal and the economic forces that could be driving the trend that you're seeing. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but we've got much more to talk about with Bill. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in the business of living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we've been discussing a brand new book that's called Overpopulation, Overdevelopment, Overshoot. And the book is chock full of amazing images that show the the societal impact, the environmental impact, the impact on wildlife that this explosion in human population growth has impacted. And the great news for all of our listeners is that you can read the book, you can see all the pictures. In fact, you can share the pictures in uh, social media uh, context uh, with all your friends. There are postcards that you can share, um, Twitter, Facebook, what have you, that show these photos. And you can find all of that for free at www.populationspeakout.org. This book is the centerpiece of a campaign called the 2015 Global Population Speakout. And Bill, Please tell our listeners about the campaign, what its goals are, and most importantly, how they can get involved. All right, thanks. The The purpose of the campaign is to draw the attention of policymakers, journalists, and other opinion leaders to the importance of population in the whole issue of global sustainability. Right now, the U.N. is debating the sustainable development goals that will go into effect at the end of this year, and population is hardly mentioned it is a difficult topic, but it's too important not to discuss it. So Speak Out is designed to draw in people to be activists, to speak out. And indeed, on the website, people can apply for a copy of the book if they will use it with their library, with teachers, with uh, policymakers, uh, with whom they'll show the book. So indeed, we invite people to to go on the website and apply for a copy of the book, along with being an activist to carry out or help us carry out this campaign. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, once again, thank you. I received a copy of the book thanks to your organization and the other partner organizations who published the book. One of the photos I just have to mention that blew me away, there's a picture of a, of a guy who's surfing. And we're used to seeing pictures of surfers sort of in the middle of a curl, you know, of the, of the water going around their head. But in this particular photo, there is garbage of all different sorts just swirling in the water around him it's one of the craziest images i've ever seen and this book is full of them and again you know our listeners can see every last one of those images on populationspeakout.org so please get out there and check it out on the website there are several upcoming events on your calendar that you have there um talk to our listeners about some of those events that are coming yeah uh one of them is uh for World Vasectomy Day, which is coming up on November 13th this year. This is the third year in which this campaign is being carried out. It's an opportunity for men to play a key role in the effort to bring about family planning uh, or planning of one's family uh, worldwide. And it's uh, growing with a lot of endorsements and involvement of people like the Minister of Health of India, who made this a national day in India. So people can find that. There's also World Contraception Day, 
um, where people are tweeting and sending messages with regard to what contraception has done for them. There's the U.S. National Endangered Species Day uh, on May 15th, coming right up, along with May 22nd, the International Day for Biological Diversity. Uh, all of May, by the way, is the U.S. National Teen Pregnancy Prevention Month. Teen pregnancy in our society, as you were mentioning, is very, very high. It's a serious problem in this country. And finally, World Environment Day is June 15th. So all of these activities are coming up this year and, and through uh, populationspeakout.org slash calendar, people can find out about them and how to get involved. I love it. Um, I know that your organization, the Population Media Center, is partnered with some wonderful organizations already. But if you could establish partnerships with any one or any organization in the world to make the most immediate impact on global population, who would they be? Give us your wish list. Well, of course, probably at the top of the wish list is the Gates Foundation. Uh, Certainly they have taken on the issue of family planning in a major way, and they have given thought to the issue of communications around family planning, uh, but their focus has not been in communications. Their focus has been in medical services. Um, And as I was saying earlier, uh, the lack of access to services is a very small factor in the reasons given people people give for non-use of contraception. So Gates and other donors uh, certainly... Uh, including individual donors who see the importance of this issue, uh, we invite into partnership with Population Media Center. There are some giant NGOs whose work uh, we have helped, like Save the Children and Care, and there are many others, including environmental organizations, whose work we can help through addressing things like climate change, uh, consumption of endangered species parts, and so on through our soap operas. So mm-hmm. many environmental groups that we are, in fact, in discussion with that we hope will partner with us on some of these projects. Going to be honest, Bill, I thought you were going to say Taylor Swift. I mean, if you've got Ashton Kutcher, who's already putting out your stuff, you talk about having somebody with a big following. Get get Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, that have millions of followers. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Celebrities, we, of course, we have now a program in Hollywood, and so we're, we actually are starting to attract some attention from the Hollywood community, a program we produce called East Los High, as in East Los Angeles, uh-huh. uh, it became the number one show on Hulu last year, and it's dealing, it's an English language program, but it's dealing with teenage pregnancy and other related issues among American Hispanics, and it's a very well done show. So we're starting to get some attention from Hollywood. Uh, the show this year was nominated for three Emmy Awards. And certainly people can go to Hulu and watch East East Los High, and they'll see uh, an example of the kind of program we're doing. And indeed, some of the actors from that show are now doing speeches around the country about the work of PMC. Cool. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you you know it well. And Virginia Carter, who used to work on so many sitcoms, uh, you know, with a social message, you know, back in the 80s that I remember, you know, the facts of life. I mean, that's how... I learned about a lot of social issues was through that form of communication. And uh, and if you can get some of those 
big stars who are in their childbearing years themselves um, to bring this message forward. I think that would be great. We have just a few moments left, um, and I'd like for you to talk directly to our listeners who are in their childbearing years. They come from a wide variety of cultural, religious, and economic backgrounds. Bill, in a minute or less, what is your message to them? My wife and I decided when we were in our childbearing years not to have children of our own. There are so many children who need homes. We made the decision to take a foster child into our home and raise her to adulthood, and she's now produced a grandson, which will be her only child. Uh, But indeed, this is a decision that many people should and could make easily to help other children rather than thinking they have to produce their own child. And this will also be tremendously helpful to the planet as a whole. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for being on Go Green Radio, and I want to make sure our listeners get another chance to hear about the website. It's www.populationspeakout.org. You can check it out, see the book for free, and get involved with the campaign. You know, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week, and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.